I'm talking about the uniqueness of the Bible as a book in this world. And um, David, as he was teaching on the agape love uh, last week, used a word that is way overused in our society today. And that is unique. But I'm going to make the case today that this book is the absolute most unique book in literally the universe. Okay, so I want to begin by praying because, um, you know, I I need the Lord's grace to, to do this. So let's pray. Lord, I... We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us your word. I just pray today, Lord, that you would help me to be able to communicate clearly the case for the uniqueness, for the fact that this book is a supernatural book that was not written by anybody but you through the agency of men. And we thank you that you've given us your word, and we ask you to cause us to hunger for it more and more as we walk our walk, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay. As we... I'm going to ask some questions, okay? We're all called to be ready to make a defense for what we believe, right? How many here have, in your making a defense or making your case for why you trust in Christ have referenced the Bible and in your referencing the Bible how many have met resistance to accepting that as an authoritative book (laughs) most people will say oh it was written by men it's too old it's been translated so many times we don't know what it really says right we've heard all this stuff well um we have been called to you can go to the next slide and this is the one verse that I'm going to quote today can you see that? okay, that's good this is from First uh, Peter 3.15 it says but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So this is where we get our term apologetics from the word defense, which is basically a legal defense. And so we need to be prepared to defend our faith. And when we do that, we usually reference scriptures as authoritative in our lives and the our society today uh, doesn't necessarily recognize the scriptures as authoritative and um, so we 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 want to make this argument that and what I'm, I'm talking about today I'm not even in this particular teaching I'm not even trying to prove that it's the word of God I'm proving that it's unique so it's just one, one uh, tool in your toolbox to use when you're sharing the, the Bible with people because most people are very ignorant of the Bible. For most people, the first book of the Bible is um, the book of opinions. And then they move right on to first and second guesses. <laughs> because people don't know the Bible and we, we want to, uh, to proclaim it. And so this is our call to, to defend our faith and be prepared to give a defense for it. I want to give an example of somebody who's kind of put his defense of Scripture and why he believes the Bible in a very succinct sentence. And I'm sure you guys have heard of Vodi Bauckham. Okay, well, this is his, his quote. And this is, um, he um, pulls this and draws this from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. And he says this, I choose to believe the Bible because the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents 
written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, which report supernatural events in the fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed their writings are divine and not of human origin. And then you can go online and you can look this up. Um, Vodi Bakum, uh, Why I Believe the Bible. And he has a whole hour or more teaching on this particular verse, this particular phrase or uh, defense that he's come up with. And just for those who, who, who uh, may not be able to see the slides, I brought copies. So uh, in case anybody wants uh, a copy, there's like six of them here. Because I, like I said, I broke the rules, so there's too much information on some of these slides, so you can't see them. You want one now? You can get it later. So, so this is what we want to do, is we want to be able to defend our faith and to be able to give a reason for why we, we believe what we believe. Um, however, the Bible is, is something that uh, our brother Spurgeon says. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend it, a lion. So all you have to do is let it loose. And the lion will defend itself. And that's what I want to do today is kind of bring out what it, what it, how does the Bible defend itself? And there's a lot of facts that we need to know about the Bible that make it absolutely unique uh, on this earth. Now, when I say unique, as David said, it's a way overused word. And it does mean one of a kind, none like it, no equal. Think of this to, to give you a, a perspective of uniqueness. Think of the earth in the universe. It's the only planet that we've found that sustains life, right? That makes it unique. One of a kind, none other like it. And that's kind of what this Bible, among the, the world of books, it stands alone as unique. It's far and above, beyond what any other book is like. And um, uh, we're going to go into why that is uh, in, this, in this teaching today. I want to give you another quote. It's kind of, this is a quote from uh, Professor Montero Williams. He was the former Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, held this perspective after spending 42 years of studying the uh, Eastern books. And he compared them to the Bible and he says this. He says, pile them, if you will, on on uh, the left side of your study table and place your holy Bible on the other side, all by itself and all alone, and make a wide gap between them. He says, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which serves, which severs one from the other utterly, hopelessly, and forever, a veritable gulf which cannot be bridged over by any science of religious thought. So this guy spent 42 years studying all the ancient writings. And he's saying that there's no book that compares. He says just the Bible is all by itself. It's unique. And it's all alone in its category of a book that has been literally supernaturally attended and written by God. So what I'm going to do today is talk about the ways in which the Bible is unique. Next slide, good. So here are the ways in which it is unique. It's unique in its continuity, and I'll talk about what that means. It's unique in its circulation throughout the world. It's unique in its translation. It's unique in its survival, and that's through time, through persecution and through criticism. It's unique in its teachings, which consist of prophecy, history, and character. It's unique in its influence on, on literature, and it's unique in its influence on civilization as a whole. And, and there's no other book that has had the impact that the Bible has. And we live in a society that has been tremendously... Uh, formed and fashioned and impacted by the Bible to such a degree that we don't even realize it. For example, our court systems. 
when you have to have a witness, two witnesses, you know, to to find someone guilty, that all the whole court system, justice system, is based on biblical principles. So let's start with talking about uh, the continuity, and this is uh, next slide. The Bible is unique in the fact that it was written over a period of 1,500 years. I mean, people have heard this, right? This is not anything new. It was written by over 40 authors. It was written by, um, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And it was written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And it was written by different men from different places in life, different stature in life, uh, written uh, at different times, different moods, written in different styles, poetry, history. I'm going to get into the detail here. But it, 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 next slide is that it covers hundreds of controversial subjects. Marriage, divorce, remarriage, homosexuality, adultery, obedience to authority, telling the truth, lying, character development, capital punishment, parenting, beginnings of creation, God himself. It addresses all these issues. Yet, from, as it says at the bottom, from Genesis to Revelation, there's harmony throughout the Bible regarding all the controversial subjects. So, let's, let's think about this. Stay on this slide for a second. Let's take one controversial subject. Let's talk about capital punishment. That's a hot topic, right? It's hotly debated in, in our society. Let's take people from one continent, speak one language, they come from one walk of life, Let's take 10 people that fall into that category, put them in a room and ask them to write an essay on what they believe about capital punishment. Are we going to get 10 answers that are all the same? No. It's going to be all over the place, right? From A to Z. Yet the Bible, with 40 authors, I see the genius of the Lord in this, in the fact that he used time and different men in different circumstances from all different walks of life and yet he, there's one message one common thread throughout the scriptures and and it's it's just it's genius it's genius because it proves to to us that there's really only one author that you couldn't have 40 men over 1500 years who they didn't talk to each other they didn't collude with each other and yet the message is the same. And the only way you can have that is if there really is, there's behind the curtain, there's an author who is inspiring and moving upon these men to write these things down. And then when you put it all together, which is what we have a collection of these documents, it's a unified message throughout. And that's just, that's just a, a miracle in itself that, that that's... Happened. Norman Geisler, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a, a very famous um, uh, critic, uh, and he is a scholar in um, ancient texts. He says this as far as the message. He says, The paradise lost in Genesis becomes the paradise regained in Revelation. Whereas the gate to the tree of life is closed in Genesis... It's reopened forevermore in Revelation. And um, he goes on to say, the unifying thread throughout the Bible is this, salvation from sin and condemnation to a life of complete transformation and unending bliss in the presence of the one merciful and holy God. The central character, and Tim's doing this on Thursday nights, right? Talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. And he's showing how the, Jesus and the message of him and the cross and salvation is woven through scripture throughout, from, from all the way through. And there are actually, 
there are studies that have been done to show Jesus revealed in, in every book of the Bible, either figuratively, figuratively or directly. No man could have done that. There's just no way a man could have done that. But he is the central character that uh, is found throughout Scripture. And that the continuity is, um, is just amazing. And I, I, like I said, I see the gene. If the Bible had been written by one man at one time in one language, then there wouldn't be any real amazing thing about the continuity of it, right? But when you have 40 different men over 1,500 years in three different languages on different continents and so forth, and it, yet it all ties together and says the same message throughout, that's, that's, that's brilliant. It's genius, in my opinion, that God has done that. So it makes the Bible very unique in that respect. And um, the next aspect uh, in my outline that I showed is it's unique in its circulation. How many here have heard of the uh, New York Times bestsellers? Yeah. Okay. And how many books do you have to sell to get on that list? Anybody know? 5,000 a week. 5,000 a week. Okay, so it's rare to get on the list. Uh, it's even more rare if, you know, we hear of books that sold in the hundreds of thousands, right? Um, it's even more rare if they sell in the millions, and it's really rare if they sell in the tens of millions. And here's a, here's a list of some of the, the more um, circulated books in our time. Actually, these are of all time. Can you see the numbers there? It's really small. Okay, I'm going to give you Da Vinci Code sold 5 million copies. Uh, and then the next three are all Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, The Deathly Hollows, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, 4.4 million. The Philosopher's Stone, 4.2. And The Order of the Phoenix, 4.1 million copies. Those are the high, highest-selling books in history. How many Bibles do you think have been sold in history? To date, the number is somewhere between 5 to 8 billion copies. The Bible remains the best seller of all time throughout all of history. And it, generally speaking, is the best seller every year. That makes it unique, right? I mean, five billion copies compared to uh, a measly five million. <laughs> we sell in the United States 20 million Bibles a year into the United States. That's 1.66 million per month and 284,000 a week. I think it makes the bestseller list. And the Gideons, you know, that's just the one sold. Okay, the, the six to eight, I mean the five to eight billion is one sold. Now how many Bibles are given away every year by different Bible societies? The Gideons by themselves give away 80 million Bibles a year. I mean, that's just phenomenal. There's no book that comes close to, to that in its circulation. Right now, to date, the next religious book that comes anywhere in the neighborhood is the Quran, with 800 million copies existent in the world today. Okay, that's far short of five to eight billion copies. Amen. Now, in this country, we have what you call uh, an abundance of Bibles. The average, 92 to 96% of all American families have a Bible in their house. Do you believe that? Sitting up on the shelf collecting dust, right? Most Christian families have nine Bibles in their house, at least. We counted. We have 12. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> okay. 
But in this country, and I'm just this is kind of like a little side point, the, the knowledge of the Bible, it's the most loved but least read book in this country, I would say, to a large degree. It's pathetic. I'm going to give you some facts, and you guys are going to laugh at these, but it's true. This is, these are from either Gallup polls or Barna polls, all right? Less than 50% of people who have a Bible in their home can name the first book of the Bible. One-third, only one-third know who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Most people think it was Billy Graham. Twelve percent of people polled believe Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. You knew it, right? (laughs) We're talking 15th century, you know, Joan of Arc versus Noah, who was B.C. We'll look out there. You get it, right? I mean, it's because her name is Ark. Noah's Ark. Mrs. Ark. Yeah. I know. This one got me. 50% of high schoolers polled thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Sodom and Gomorrah are husband and wife. And this one is, is sad. 80% of born-again Christians polled thought and believe that God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. Have you ever been told that that's right in the Bible? I've been told that. But somebody swear, I know it's there. I'm saying, well, look, I'm sorry to inform you, but it ain't. So... Circulation, it, it's, it's circulated, it's, it's all throughout the United States, but unfortunately in this country it's less read. Now look what's going on where Tim is. He's in Kenya. And these men are like sponges, hungry for the word of God. This country is like, meh. <laughs> it's sad. And we as believers, us in this room, um, need to be diligent to proclaim the uniqueness of this book. And, um, you know, when they poll people as far as how often do you read the Bible, the numbers for daily reading are in the, in the low teens. 15% or less read it daily. And obviously less understand what it says or what it means with these results of these polls. All right, the next aspect that I'm addressing is unique in its translation. Most books written, this chart here, I I don't know if you can see it, but um, most books are lucky if they get translated into one or two languages. Most books stay in their original written language. Okay? Um, it's rare that one gets translated into two or three languages. And these, this is the breakdown of the translation chart here. I don't know if you can see the number, but the Bible so far has been translated somewhere in the neighborhood of over 3,384 languages. The most translated book in history. No book comes close. When you talk about religious books, the Quran has only been translated into less than 200 languages. We have, in the original Hebrew was 3,384, Aramaic 2,191, and uh, Koine Greek is 698. These other books are some of the highest translated books. The Little Prince, 300 different languages. Uh, The Adventures of Pinocchio. How many have a copy of The Adventures of Pinocchio? 240 to 260 languages. And he, I don't know if you can if you can read these, but it's basically um, the the gap between how many languages ha- the Bible has been translated into, and you know we've got the the um, um, what, uh, I forget the name of the uh, the 
society that is, spends their time uh, translating, Wycliffe is the name of it. Um, they have over 6,000 translators working on, uh, currently right now, working on translating the Bible into another 850 languages for 50 different countries. And of the 850, 468 are being translated for the very first time. You know, we even have a Bible that's translated into Klingon. <laughs> yeah. And they just recently finished the very first Bible that's translated into uh, sign language, which is really cool. So, as far as translation goes, in the numbers, um, you know, the Bible has been translated into enough languages to basically cover over 90% of the world's population. So it's out there, and it's translated into languages that cover over 90%, and they're working on the remainder uh, to get a Bible into the hands of every language. Some Bibles have been translated, and only one copy has sold in the last year, like Coptic. But it's, it's still there. They have the translation. So it's, it's out there, it's circulated, and it's been translated into every language far and above any other natural book or spiritual book. It's, it's far and above. Um, now, the next slide is talking about survival of the Bible. The Bible has been the most hated book and the most loved book. Okay, and this uh, John uh, Warwick, Warwick Montgomery observes that to be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament books is to allow all of classical antiquity slip into obscurity, for no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the New Testament. What do I mean? What does that mean? There's more copies. Now, of the older ancient books, uh, we're gonna, I have a slide for that, so let me not get ahead of myself here. Let me see here. Oh, let me just keep reading a couple of these quotes. Bruce Metzger, next, uh, next slide. Uh, he's a Princeton professor and one of the world's leading biblical text critics comments that in contrast with other ancient texts, the textual critic of the New Testament is embarrassed by the wealth of material that he has. In other words, when these people go to study ancient writings, they're limited in the number of texts and manuscripts that they have access to. The one who's studying the Bible has so much material, it's embarrassing. I mean, I don't know if I would consider it embarrassing, but um, they have a lot. Uh, Bernard Rahm, next quote. Yeah. Uh, he speaks of the accuracy and number of biblical manuscripts. Jews preserved it as no other manuscript has ever been preserved. With their Masora, this is the, and I, I'm just quoting what's in here, the Parva, the Magna, and the Finalis, they kept tabs on every letter, syllable, and word, and paragraph. They had special classes of men writing their within their culture I misspelled a word there uh, whose sole duty was to preserve and transmit these documents and practically perfect fidelity oh another misspelling scribes, lawyers, and masters the point here is that the bible was handwritten right when was the printing press invented anybody know 1450-ish somewhere in there by Newton, yeah, Gutenberg. So up until the 15th century, everything was copied by hand. And you'd think, and this is where people get their idea that the Bible has been translated and copied so many times that there's so many errors in it. Um, they copied it, and, and this is the, their whole assignment was to copy. Now, how many here have copied from um, a book text onto a written text before? You're copying something. You're trying to copy a quote. 
And when you do that, do you copy it one letter at a time? You usually will like string a sentence or at least a couple words together, right? These uh, Masoret copiers, they were only allowed to copy one letter at a time. They had to look at the letter and then write it. They had to look at the next letter and write it. And they literally kept track of how many letters were in a row, how many words were in a column, and how many words and letters were on a page. And it had to come out exactly like the original. And if it didn't, they had to tear it up and start over. And this went on for thousands of years. This is not just something that was like, you know, um, just a period of time. This is for a long period of time. How many here have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? We've all heard of them. You've seen them? The Dead Sea Scrolls, are they were found in uh, a cave in the Qumran Caves in 1947, a young shepherd boy uh, had a sheep that went astray, and he was trying to flush it out, and there's a lot of caves in these, these areas. So he took a rock and he threw it, and he was trying to flush out the, the sheep, and the rock hit a pot, and he heard the breaking or shattering of pottery. And so he got curious, and he went up there, and as he went up there, I would have loved to have been that kid. <laughs> and he went inside this cave, and he found vessels full of, of scrolls. Hundreds and hundreds of scrolls to the point where it was just, I mean, it was a miraculous finding. Now here's the thing, like the, all the, almost every book of the Bible was found, pieces of it at least. The full book of Isaiah was found in the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The only ones that were excluded were Esther and Nehemiah. So those scrolls were a thousand years older than the latest and best copies that we had of Isaiah. And when you compare them, there were almost, the, the, the differences were negligible in either a spelling error, a letter error, or an accent error. Nothing that changed the text. We're talking a thousand years of handwritten copies and so that means that all the copying that went on for a thousand years was very accurate does that make sense so when people say oh it was copied so many times blah 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 no these men that was their job to copy accurately letter by letter word by word sentence by sentence line by line and they had to add, everything had to add up and it's, it's, it's miraculous and um, here's a, here's a uh, I don't know if, it's, if you can go to the next yeah whoever counted the letters and syllables of words of Plato Aristotle Cicero or Seneca whoever counted those words nobody nobody but these men knew that they were copying the word of God. It had to be accurate. It had to be right. And so they committed themselves to copying it accurately. The next slide is a chart of manuscript survival. Now, if you look on the column, the second column, so it was when it was written, you can see... Um, down at the bottom, the New Testament was written somewhere between 40 to 100 years. The earliest copy, if you look across, is 125 AD. The time span was 25 to 50 years. Look just above that, the Iliad. How many years between the original writing and the next copy, the, le the remaining existing copy? 500 years. So if we're going to trust the Iliad, we're going to trust the writings of Cedar and Plato and Thucydides, Tacitus, these guys. If we're going to believe anything they wrote, then we have to believe the Bible because it was copy, the earliest copies are closer to the time of the original writing. The gap is the narrowest in history. And look at the volume, the number of manuscripts. For the, for the Bible, New Testament, 24,000. The Iliad is not even close, 643 copies of the original. 
the, the, we don't have the original anymore. Most of the originals in, of the New Testament and Old Testament were written on either papyrus or um, parchment, which was animal skin, or vellum, which was another form of uh, paper. So we have copies, but for us, those who, of us who believe the Bible is the word of God, there's a, a plethora of manuscripts available. There's no lack. That's why I said, the guy said, that, you know, the biblical scholar is a little bit embarrassed because he has so much to work with compared to any other book. And this gap, you know, it, it's, it's important because... Um, it, the number of the the number of copies we have exceeds any ten ancient writings, and the the shorter the time period, um, people say there's room for you know error to creep in. This was the, the, these testaments were written during the lifetime of people who were eyewitnesses, and written by eyewitnesses as the sentence that uh, Vodibakum, you know. So they're written by eyewitnesses in the presence of other eyewitnesses. So if I wrote something that was wrong and you knew, what are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, that's not right. That's not accurate. You're not recording this accurately. So when you're writing something in the presence of other eyewitnesses, they can, they can uh, falsify what you're saying and say you, you, you're not recording this accurately. Next, oh, this is a really long one. Um, all, all this is to say, and you don't have to read it, basically saying this, okay, Shakespeare, which, you know, there, what, he has a hundred and some odd uh, playwrights or something like that, which was only like 200 years ago. There's more corruption and question about things he wrote than there is the, Old, the New Testament. So there's more text in question regarding Shakespeare, which would significantly change the entire outcome of what the story was. But that's not true for the Bible. Okay, I'm going to address the fact that the Bible is unique in its survival through persecution. And in the AD 303, the Roman emperor Diocletian issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping and he, he was ordered, the scriptures were ordered to be destroyed. And the churches were to be raised uh, and those scriptures burned. Okay? And obviously that didn't quite happen because um, just shortly after that, um, uh, Constantine in the 4th century uh, made a proclamation to have 50 copies of the scriptures prepared at the government's expense. So the Bible survived, the scripture survived, and Constantine ordered that they be copied and increase the volume that's available. But uh, it has been under attack, the Bible has been under attack uh, as a text for hundreds of and thousands, literally, years. Uh, have you ever heard of Voltaire? He was a, uh, as he's referred to in this quote from, somebody, uh, from Geisler, Voltaire, the noted French infidel who died in 1778, said that in 100 years from his time, Christianity would be swept from the existence and passed into history. But what happened? Voltaire passed into, in, from existence, and Christianity and the scriptures continue to this day. The irony of it all, only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used his press and house to produce stacks of Bibles. <laughs> A little irony there. Yes, he does. Um, survival through criticism. H.L. Hastings forcefully illustrated the unique way in which the Bible has withstood attacks of infidels and skeptics. Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today as solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it's more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make 
about as much an impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. <laughs> One guy put it this way, the Bible is the anvil and it's worn out a lot of hammers. I like what Bernard Rom says. He says, A thousand times over the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read, but somehow the corpse never stays put. <laughs> Again, he says, No other book has been so chopped, knived, sifted, scrutinized, and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology or Bell's Littress? You can help me with that one. Okay. There we go. That's the right pronunciation. Of classical or modern times has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible. With such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition, upon every chapter, line, and tenet, the Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. Yeah, exactly. Here's, um, this is a professor at, um, his name is Nelson Gleck, uh, former president of the Jewish Theological Seminary at the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati and one of the greatest, of three greatest archaeologists. This is a man who's done archaeological studies and digs and so forth. And he says, he's a Jewish guy, he says, I've been accused of teaching the verbal plenary inspiration of the scripture. I want it to be understood that I've never taught this all I've ever said is that in all my archaeological investigation, I've never found one artifact of antiquity that contradicts any statement of the Word of God. There have been, in the Holy Land, over 25,000 archaeological digs. And not one has ever revealed something that contra contradicts the Bible, only to support the Bible. You know, for a long time, Luke was thought to have been like one of the world's worst historians when he was going around with Paul as he traveled with Paul and recording the book of Acts. Comes to find out, he mentioned certain rulers at a certain date, at a certain time, who were ruling in, in the area. And historians said, well, those, we don't find those names anywhere. So this guy's a joke. Come to find out, Archaeology reveals the name of that ruler at that time, in that date, just like Luke said. Now he's revered as one of the greatest historians of ancient times by biblical New Testament scholars. So archaeology, I mean, I think if I was going to ever have chosen a different profession, I think that's what I would have loved to have done. I used to have dreams when I was a kid of finding... Uh, coins in my grandma's backyard that were buried in the dirt that were these big giant you know doubloons or whatever I don't know what I thought they were but I just used to have these dreams of, of doing that and I think that's probably what I would have done but the Lord had other plans for me okay so now we're getting into the uniqueness in his teaching and here's an area that is just like um you got there's so many things that, that, that I could say about this but I'm just going to read this it says no unconditional prophecy of the Bible about events to the present day has gone unfulfilled hundreds of predictions some of them given hundreds of years in advance have been literally fulfilled the time the city the nature of Christ's birth were foretold in the Old Testament as were dozens of other things about his life death and resurrection like Isaiah 53 numerous other prophecies. Have you ever studied I have a book that's called the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy and it's like like the Webster's Dictionary, right? And it talks about all the fulfilled and some of them are just so so graphically accurate. Um, one of them is the, um, the prediction of Tyre and the destruction of Tyre. The Lord says I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to scrape you into the ocean and you're going to be flat. 
And guess what Alexander the Great did? He comes into that area, he completely destroys the city and scrapes the remnants into the ocean, just like it was prophesied hundreds of years before. We have, remember what Tim, when he was teaching, he uh, talking about prophes- prophecies about Jesus. And he said, just, there's a book, I have it in my, in my library, I was surprised he quoted it, it's called Science Speaks. And it's, if you take just eight prophecies about Jesus, the fulfillment of those eight prophecies, what is the probability of that all being fulfilled in one man? And it's like one times 10 to the 17th power chance. Well, that equals where you, like, you, like he said in the illustration, you take the entire state of Texas, which is pretty big, right? State of Texas, fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. Mark one, stir it thoroughly. However you do that. Yep. Take a blindfolded man and have him traverse the entire state of Texas and have him pick that one coin that you marked. That's the chance of it happening accidentally. So in other words, prophecy is a huge aspect of the Bible and there is not one prophecy, unconditional prophecy. There are conditionals that, that if we fail to do our part, God didn't do his part. But unconditional prophecies there's not one that hasn't been fulfilled next slide on talking about the teachings on did I skip one? yeah history yes this is amazing the Hebrew national tradition excels all others in its clear picture of tribal and family origins. You know, the Hebrews recorded down to the person. You know, like whenever we read in Genesis where it was like, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, right? You don't have that in any other history. Chinese history doesn't record that. They, char- they, they record dynasties, but they don't get down into the family by family by family. But the Hebrews did. Uh, <clears throat> There's nothing compares in Egypt, Babylonia, Assyria, Phoenicia, Greek, Rome. None of those compare to the the, the history that's recorded in the Bible. Um, the the table of nations in Genesis 10, Albright concludes it stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks. The table of nations remains an astonishingly accurate document. See, that's the thing about the Bible is that it's actually a very accurate historical document. And as archaeology continues to prove over and over again that the Bible recorded history very accurately. And there's no book, that ancient book, that has recorded it as accurately as the Bible. And as far as character goes, okay, the Bible deals very frankly with its subjects. In other words... You get the the good, the bad, and the ugly when you read the Bible. If you're going to write something that is man-written, they typically write things that are flattering to themselves. And they paint themselves in a good light. Is that true? But the Bible shows everybody's warts and all. And as, as uh, this guy, uh, Louis S. Schaefer, says... Uh, founder of, the, in, of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, the Bible is not such a book a man would write if he could or could write if he would. In other words, you're not going to want to write the truth about yourself and expose your flaws so clearly as, look at David, you know, his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of, of um, her husband. You know, I mean, everything's recorded. Good, bad, ugly. The, now, now, just think of being Peter. Yeah. You know, do you want to um, have all your mistakes and foibles posted in the paper and all over? Yeah, you know, I mean, but but this is what it. You know, the Word of God addresses all of these, and it doesn't it doesn't hide it. It's frank and it says the Bible deals very frankly with the sins of its characters and um, even when those sins reflect badly on God's chosen people leaders and 
the biblical writers themselves. For example, the sins of the patriarchs are mentioned in Genesis. The sins of the people are denounced. King David's adult, uh, adultery, as I mentioned, the evangelists uh, paint their own faults. And uh, even the disorder in the church in Corinthians, it's all recorded. It's all there. Ugly, good, bad, and ugly. It's all there. Nothing's hidden. Um, the next slide says that the Bible basically focuses on reality, not fantasy. It presents it all, like I said. And um, I have two more slides. I think I got an, uh, uh, enough time to... The influence on literature. Now think about the impact that the Bible has had on literature. It's the most quoted book in the world. There is no book that has been quoted as much as the Bible. And um, it's had a tremendous impact on writing. And I want to put in here, like, architecture. How many here have seen architecture influenced by the Bible? Influenced by the story of, the, uh, of Christ? Especially in Europe, we see a lot of buildings. But all over the world, there's buildings. Architecture has been tremendously, and art has been tremendously impacted by this, the Bible and the story of Christ and what God has done in creation. And the influence on civilization, like I said, our laws, a lot of our laws and the way we, we govern and the way we run society today is impacted by the fact that we are governed by Judeo-Christian values. And that's had an impact all over the world. So <clears throat> I just, I'm going to conclude with this last slide. If you can go one more. Keep one more. One more. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> The evidence presented above does not prove the Bible is the Word of God, but it clearly indicates that it's unique, uniquely superior to any and all other books. Anyone with an honest heart who is seeking the truth would do well to pay attention to this unique book. If you encounter people who really want to know the truth, they can't deny the uniqueness of this book. It stands alone in all of the world as a book that could not have been written by men. It's accurate in his, its, its historical record, and it's accurate in its recording of what happened uh, with Jesus and what the disciples saw. Witnesses, eyewitnesses, wrote it during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They attested to it, and it could have been disproven by those who saw something different, if that is the case, but it wasn't. And so we can confidently, I believe, as believers stand firm on the fact that we embrace a book that is not just a book written by men, but is a book clearly written by God. Amen? That's it. Thank you.